0: Previously on the Leadership Under Fire Optimizing Human Performance Podcast.
1: 9-11 came. They were doing what they wanted to do. They were going to work to the biggest job in New York City. One went in the North Tower, one went in the South Tower. The buildings come down.
0: FDNY Captain John Vigiano and his wife Jan lost both of their sons on the morning of 9-11, An unthinkable tragedy, which they were able to transform into continued service. John Jr. was an FDNY firefighter. Joe was an NYPD detective.
1: My wife and I vowed. We said we would take the broken egg and make an omelet.
0: Captain Vigiano passed away on July 8, 2018, after a long battle with cancer, leaving behind an indelible impression on those who knew him best.
2: You talk about... A unique guy amongst unique people. He was, John Vigiano was one of a kind, for sure.
0: Captain Vigiano dedicated 36 years to the FDNY. Before that, he served as a sergeant in the U.S. Marine Corps. And before his enlistment in the Marines, he joined the National Guard at 15. Even in the darkest of times following September 11th, Vigiano was able to remain steadfast in his patriotism and commitment to helping others.
2: I, I still remember one time I was having a tough day down there and, you know, he just sat next to me. He started B.S., yes and, you know, a couple jokes, a couple good memories, you know, and, and, and he just, you know, he said, we gotta do this for them.
0: This is the second and final installment in a series dedicated to remembering Captain Vigiano. In this episode, We'll take a closer look at his personal life and the support he and his wife provided our nation's post-9-11 military veterans. You'll hear from almost a dozen people who were impacted by his leadership, as well as from Captain Vigiano himself. In 2015, he sat on a panel at a Leadership Under Fire conference, reflecting on risk and resilience, which we'll play for you throughout the episode. I'm your host, Patty Murphy. Thanks for tuning in. In the aftermath of 9-11, Captain Vigiano could be found at ground zero, helping with the recovery efforts, but it wasn't long before he and his wife turned their attention toward our nation's military service members and their families. Leadership Under Fire founder and president Jason Bresler met the Vigianos under these circumstances and observed.
3: There was a tremendous emotional balancing act that Captain Vig navigated in the years following 9-11.
0: When questioned about this, Captain Vigiano attributed his resilience to two important things.
1: It sounds a little contrite, but family values. And again, it's how you take what was given to you and what you make out of it.
0: With that, the Vigianos were able to support those serving in our military and their families. Tina Atherall, who has more than two decades of experience working in the military nonprofit community, explains the needs in the early 2000s.
4: We know that there's around 45,000 organizations that support military veterans and their families currently. A good portion of those are some of our legacy organizations, such as the American Legion, the VFW, etc. But after 9-11, the needs were extremely different, and they were really emergent needs at bedside in hospitals, like Walter Reed, Bethesda, and later down at San Antonio, and I think that that's a really significant place off to of the tie-in, um, John Vigiano, because in those earlier days, morale was what was needed the most. And those were some really significant things that only communities could bring. And so there's a large surgence around that in the earlier years after 9-11.
0: Though Tina and other founding members did not know Captain Vigiano when they created their nonprofit, Hope for the Warriors, he inevitably became their greatest ambassador. She'll never forget the first time she met Captain Vigiano.
4: The first impression was, I see this man and and his wife that started to address a room of individuals who have really just met some incredible challenging times coming back from combat, but then also family members who had loved ones that were still overseas, maybe assigned to those particular units, and they were spending time with the Marines that had come home from their husband's units, and in particular, my husband was deployed it was really hard times. We didn't know what was ahead of us. We knew what was right in front of us. And I saw this man stand up in front of a room of of individuals and pull out his Marine Corps value card. And he starts to share his story because I think New York knows him as Captain John Vigiano and knows their, his son's stories. But in that moment, he became a Marine. Mm-hmm. And the Marine Corps knows John as a Marine. And he shared on how that day and the first of many long days, um, those 10 months following, it was really the Marine Corps values that guided him through hard times. And he also shared that, and you can imagine because of the point at which these individuals were dealing with, you know, their current situation, he shared that he was there because of their sacrifice and what, for what they had done for his family, Mm -hmm. for his city, and for his nation. And it was just, So overwhelming. I think when you're in the military, especially, you know, you're away on military bases, you forget that there's an entire country out there. And John really brought a message of support, not only from his own personal story and Jan and sharing that love, but really saying, you guys are not alone in this and we appreciate what you're doing.
0: Knowing the pain and uncertainty they were going through, providing support to military service members and their families became Captain Vigiano's new mission.
3: Shortly after the wars had started, made his first trip to the Army's hospital at Walter Reed and then the Navy's medical facility at Bethesda, merely to offer his gratitude firsthand. In true Captain Vigil-like fashion, he instantly made an impression not only with the wounded troops, but the hospital staff serving as you know the, the ultimate ambassador for the FDNY, the NYPD, and New York at large. And he was so well-received, and he, he was so encouraged and inspired by what he saw there in those young men and women who had been injured, that he thought it important to to organize more trips.
0: Captain Vigiano decided to create teams to join him on these visits. John Atwell is a retired FDNY lieutenant who is actively involved in a number of efforts that support our nation's veterans. As a proud member of the Vigiano group, he provided support and comfort to military members wounded in Iraq and Afghanistan.
2: Dennis Oldberg, who was a young firefighter in my firehouse, that legendary guy for 114 truck, was there at the Trade Center when he came down. He survived. Dennis Oldberg was succumbed to, to Trade Center. He was working in Atlanta 105. But he was friends with John as well. And I knew his son. He worked in my company. So it was another father that I knew that lost his son. Just to show you how things went down into hospitals. People were sending us shirts to give to the troops of all different firehouses and different individuals and everything else on that end to represent their companies. And I brought shirts down representing Dennis Oldberg early on, months before. Well, Dennis Oldberg decides to come on one of the trips, the father, and lo and behold, we are coming through uh, the Walter Reed Hospital, coming out of the thing they call the maxi, where you would work out to get yourself back in shape with your injury. And lo and behold, there's a young man with his mother being pushed in a wheelchair with a traumatic brain injury. He lost a leg, and on his shirt was Dennis Oberg's shirt. So here was Dennis Oberg walking in to an area with a young man who who's had you know had been injured severely over there in Afghanistan. And lo and behold, he has Dennis's shirt on as he's coming through. Well, the bond that they made between the mother and the son and Dennis Oberg that day... Dennis stayed with them for a couple of hours. Told them about his son. Told them about his history and everything else. So in the healing process of just going down and handing the shirt, Dennis Olberg meeting this family, both parents talking about their sons who are less than you know twenty five years old, and and you know Dennis losing his son, but that woman you know, with her son injured, was was, was quite remarkable to see that process of two people in two different battles, one in the war, one fight, two different battles, but, you know, still warriors, and uh, seeing those parents talk was incredible, very profound.
0: Over time, Captain Vigiano developed a very special bond with Gold Star parents, an effort he learned about from Atherall. What did Captain Vigiano do for service members and their families that was so important and needed?
4: First of all, he immersed himself in areas that's quite funny. You know, he went on his first USO tour as a father, as a Marine, as a fireman. And so when that came, you know, for, for our service members and in particular, watching what he did for family members, and I identified so much with this because I knew as a military spouse, you often, you were always serving, but serving behind the lines, right? It was mm-hmm. the one in uniform that would stand out front, would receive the handshakes. I'd always watch John go behind that front line and make sure that the family members knew that he saw them, and so that might be in a hospital room, that might be at a large gala where the thank yous were going in different areas in the room, or you know, it might be in an event. He always had that ability to be looking and seeing who may not be noticed and who might be in the most pain. Because ultimately, that's what he beelined for. He could, he could see it in the hospital rooms. And, you know, I know that he would always bring along some of the best people who could create laughter, but it was the way that he held his presence that was so important.
0: As Atwell recalls, healing often came in the form of laughter.
2: What happens when you get in a van of firefighters, you know, and they're telling all their war stories and everybody's, you know, yucking it up and having their coffee. By the time you get halfway through the trip, they all have to go to the bathroom. So I would always, instead of, like, waiting for the ask, because no one would admit that they have to go to the bathroom, they would always want to, like, you know, look around, and they'd all get quiet. And that's when we you had to take them all to the bathroom, like they didn't pack. So I would say we need to stop for gas. So we, we're stopping for gas on a turnpike and uh, on one of the trips we happen to have the van with both John and Joe on the back. There's a, a van that was donated in their honor to, you know, for firefighters and to use for taking back and forth to the hospitals or whatever case we need. So we got that van. I was so happy. I got that van to take John and everybody down we're talking about, yeah, John and Joe, the stories back and forth. But so I pulled into the gas station, the back end of the van was sticking out a little bit. So I get out, to, out of the van to go and, uh, get the gas and an 18-wheeler stops and the guy's in a big tanker truck and he blows the horn at me to move the van. So he hits the horn a couple of times. Well, I'm insulted because he's not reading the back of the van, I guess. So I don't know if I can say this on the air. So I gave him some sign language that he didn't approve of. So I raised my hand, gave him some sign language and he didn't approve of it. So I stepped on the gas and he came at me to scare me, but he got so close, he ripped the door off the side of the van. So he rips his door off the side of the van. I dove into the van, and I'm laying in John Vigiano's lap. Oh. And he's looking at me, and he's yelling at me like, what just happened? I said, I just gave the guy some sign language. He wasn't happy. The door was hanging off the side of the truck. We're not even halfway through to get to the trip yet. So uh, he looks at me. The you know, driver pulls over. He's shooken up. You can imagine how I must have felt. John looks down at me. and He says, well, we got some more paint on here now. I go, sure we do. <laughs> So we found a construction site, and we borrowed some screw guns, and we sheet-metaled the door back onto the van. But on the way down, it started to rain. So I was getting soaked and wet all the way down on the trip. The water was poured in, and we, you know, on the way down to Washington. The hardest part I had to do was explain to the Pentagon when I pulled in is how I have to show my ID. They got nervous because I wouldn't open the door, but they didn't realize it was sheet metal dead yet. So I had to get out of the van, show my ID. So it was the whole week of uh, a whole weekend of uh, trying to get you know get out of a door, but that was just uh, you know one of the things to keep everybody smiling, I guess.
0: Captain Vigiano worked tirelessly, donating what he could to improving the lives of Gold Star families and military veterans. One of his greatest talents made a lasting impact on others.
4: The most important thing about John Vigiano is that I think he was a collector of people and he was a connector of lives. like the ultimate connector. And so when it came to a time, whether it was early years, post 9-11, where resources were plentiful, but connections weren't necessarily being made, he knew how to make those connections. Example, hope for the warriors. Their their third person moves up here to New York. That was me. Mm -hmm. I had very little resources, didn't even know what our work would be up here. And we decided we wanted to share the patriotism of New York City with spouses who had had significant sacrifice due to their wounded warrior. And so we gave them scholarships so they could go back to school and become breadwinners. John wanted to have dinner in New York City in a ceremony for those spouses so that they knew that they were loved, valued, and that their accomplishments were being recognized. He pulled together Commissioner Cassano, a very amazing fireman you could imagine. We had vans. We had a ceremony in Times Square. Like, who does that? <laughs> John Vigiano does. Chief Esposito, in the early years of, of post-9-11 and during his time at the police department, had an entire crew that was set aside for wounded warriors. A wonderful woman that John loved very much, Mary Ellen Ferris, was in that office. And we would take family members in the heart of Times Square during the New Year's Eve ball dropping. Who does
0: that? John Viggiano. John Vigiano turning his anguish into advocacy, communicated a powerful message to our nation's wounded warriors.
3: Many of the wounded troops at Walter Reed and Bethesda at this time, when asked, I mean, across the board to a T, when asked, why did you go? They pointed to the morning of 9-11. And here's this this individual, this, this figure who, who's a symbol of all that was lost that morning, but yet he comes as an ambassador to show his appreciation and probably even more importantly, comes as a beacon of hope.
0: For more than a decade, Captain Vigiano continued to spearhead visits and raise morale, but eventually the cause ran its course.
1: 14 years I've been going down to the hospitals, visiting our wounded, bringing them t-shirts, bringing a cast of characters, 10 firemen that would make a make a stand-up comic look for a job. All we wanted to do was make these kids laugh. We wanted to make their pain go away, even if it was for 10 minutes. And we succeeded. Then the last trip down there, we were told, well, we really don't have no place for you to go. Why don't you sit in the lobby and give out shirts? I said, thank you, but no thank you. We gave the shirts to the nurses, and we never went back.
4: It did become very hard for him in the later years when Walter Reed Bethesda was unable to open up their doors or maybe at times maybe... Bureaucratically not even interested in it mm-hmm. because he knew the importance of those visits. He was always consistent in making sure that he was connecting people when needed. We could call him at any time and say, we're concerned. We haven't heard from this, this individual. He's got a friend in Boston. Do you have any firemen or any connections in Boston? He'd be on the, on the wire quickly and, and a solution to the current situation would, would be presented and solved.
0: While Vigiano was hailed for his work with veterans, he was still mourning the loss of his sons.
1: You know, I lost two sons, and I'm not going to sit here and say there isn't a a minute that doesn't go by that I don't think of them.
0: Before their deaths, John Jr. and Joe had given Captain Vigiano and his wife Jan five grandchildren. Joe Vigiano had three sons who were just eight, six, and three months old on September 11th. Joe Jr., James, and John. Joe Jr. and John were able to join us for this series.
5: My grandfather was able to fill the gaps that my mother was not able to, just as being a man. Growing up, that my father
6: was very tough. My grandfather filled in that role pretty well, along with my brothers and my mother.
0: Despite their sacrifice, Captain Vigiano took pride in the careers his sons chose. After joining the NYPD, Joe became a member of the Emergency Service Unit, which is considered to be the special forces of the NYPD.
1: Joe became a cop at 19 years old. He's running around East New York at 20 years old with a gun, and he's shot. Not once, not twice. Three occasions he was shot. You veterans, how many GIs, how many Marines do you know have been shot three different occasions? It doesn't happen that often. But in three different occasions, he was shot. He never once tried to get out. When do I go back to work? When do I go back to work? That's a tough kid.
0: John Jr. followed in his father's footsteps and joined the FDNY. He also mirrored his father's passion for training and teaching. Eventually, they traveled the country together, helping to develop other firefighters.
1: His brother never was shot. Wouldn't be a cop. So I don't want to be a cop. I'm going to be a firefighter. And all he did was learn, train, 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 and train. He would come with me.
0: Joe Jr., who was 8 on 9-11, can remember the events of that day.
5: I was old enough to understand, and not fully understand, but understand that he wasn't coming home. And uh, remember a lot. And I would say because of that, I think I lost a lot of that uh, childhood innocence pretty early just trying to explain to an eight-year-old what terrorism is.
0: Not to be defined by the tragedies of the past, Joe Jr. is now a Marine, just like his grandfather. In addition to his military career, he followed the path forged by his father and mother, who met as young officers in Brooklyn's 75th precinct and joined the NYPD. His brothers, James and John, have also chosen to pursue military careers. They all have their grandfather to thank for grooming them.
5: So every Monday night, one of the things we would do, we would go to Boy Scouts growing up. From the time I was just old enough to start the program, around 12, 13 years old, to the time I finished it as an Eagle Scout. Every Monday night, we'd grab dinner, we'd go out, we'd talk, and then he'd bring us to the meeting and then discuss what we learned. In a, in a way, this was the, I guess, <laughs> informal uh, leadership and life lessons that he was giving us. Um, I mean, looking back on it now, I was getting... Groomed in small unit leadership with for the Marine Corps without even knowing it, and then by the time I actually did join, you know, the Marines is you know the Marine Corps Reserve and the NYPD as police officer, a lot of this stuff was not the first time I was hearing it, and it just clicked pretty easy. So growing up, you know, with him doing that, it just really made that transition pretty simple.
6: I can speak for leadership on the lacrosse field because I've learned from him. I learned leadership. I know a little bit about it, very young still, but as of right now, I'm playing in an adult league. I'm 18 years old playing against 30-year-old men, and I'm playing midfield face-off, man. So every time I'm out on the field, I'm telling guys where to go, what to do, and they listen to me. It usually works out, but uh, I just like to um, try to get the best for my sense of team right now with a... what I'm doing in my life.
0: FDNY Chief of Operations Thomas Richardson refers to Captain Vigiano as one of his principal mentors. He witnessed Captain Vigiano master informal training at home and in the fire department.
7: A lot of what we learn in informal training or an informal setting, quite honestly, they're almost life lessons because a lot of what we learn about leadership. A lot of what we learn just by virtue of the work that we do, the type of work that we do is really life changing in many, many ways. And when you're able to pass that on to those that are working with you and for you, I think that, you know, we could all say that that becomes the the, the foundation for who you, who you become as a, as a, a leader, as a supervisor. And so You know, the informal setting of the firehouse, the informal setting of those informal drills or those informal conversations that you have, whether in the back of the fire apparatus, in the front of the fire apparatus with the person that's driving you or around the kitchen table or up in the office or up in the locker room. Those are things that kind of many, many times stay with with you more than anything. And kind of when you go to work and you're operating on a fire or an emergency and you just remember certain things about what is said in those informal settings that many times prepare you unknowingly quite frankly sometimes you don't even realize it that got me through that situation i remember that conversation that we had
0: the last words captain vigiano and his sons exchanged on september 11th were i love you a fact that comforted him and a valuable lesson he was sure to pass on. In particular,
5: my uh, grandfather was big on making sure the everything was good before you left the house. Between you know your kids and your wife, or you know, from my case, a girlfriend or a mother, and just saying you know I love you and you know just you never know. And I think with the events that took place, it really sent that home and how true that can be.
0: During his funeral, Captain Vigiano's granddaughter told attendees that more than anything, her grandfather had a love for life, people, and his family. Their family's sacrifice was clearly the driving force behind their continued service in the wake of tragedy.
1: My boys were taught. Anything they did, they were accountable for. Now my grandchildren, they're at age. They're all good kids. They're great kids but I told every one of them at a different time. You are accountable for whatever you do. Your fathers paid the price to put you where you are. Don't hurt that name. Be proud of the name and carry on a tradition. Both your fathers never quit. You don't quit. I don't quit. My wife, was a hell of a lot tougher than I am, wouldn't let me quit. So that's the way we made it to all this crap.
7: You know, I'm proud to say that I knew John Vigiano. A lot of who I am today, as a, not only as a firefighter, as a person, uh, had a lot to do with knowing John Vigiano.
0: That's Chief Richardson again, repeating what many say about their relationship with Vigiano, including Jason Bresler. In 2003, Bresler was deployed with a unit of Marines to support the invasion in Iraq. He intended on joining the FDNY when his obligated time with the Marine Corps came to an end. In 2005, during one of his first weeks of proby school, he had a chance to meet Captain Vigiano. The two quickly formed a bond over their love for the fire service and USMC.
3: Captain Vig was, was a great, great communicator. Not only in the sense that he could command the attention of, of everyone in the room, but he was masterful in, in, in written communication. He was a voracious reader. I mean, here, here's a gentleman out of high school education and enlisted in the in, in the Marine Corps first opportunity and then became a New York City fireman. Voracious reader and thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed writing, particularly in the form of personal correspondence. Handwritten letters, which he, he preferred and in more recent years, uh, as he would often say, the email had become the more accepted form of, of communication. I can't count the, the number of letters and, and emails that I have from him. Letters that he had sent to, me, sent to me during my deployments to Iraq, my deployment to Afghanistan, letters or emails encouraging me to, to study for the next lieutenant's test, uh, le- letters encouraging me to <laughs> transfer from the, the Bronx to Brooklyn, yeah, I mean he, he spent his entire career in Brooklyn and 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 believed that the New York City Fire Department really only existed in the borough of borough of Brooklyn.
0: When did the correspondence start between you two, shortly after you met?
3: Yeah, and and then probably particularly during my my deployment to Iraq in, in 2006 in, in Fallujah at the, at the height of the insurgency and he, he he felt a responsibility to encourage me mm-hmm. because he knew that that deployment, that despite all of my training and formal education and prior deployments, he he knew that it was incredibly difficult, not just physically and tactically or technically, but emotionally, given the scope and scale of, of casualties and, and the extent of, of the violence. And he, he just had a knack for knowing, not even asking, like when I needed a pick-me-up, when I needed a, a more serious talk, and when I just needed a few lines to, to make me laugh, and these, these emails and these letters, I, I, will, forever, I will forever treasure them. And th- there's a tremendous amount of, of, of information.
0: Can you share any of it with us?
3: Sure. So I went through and, and, and found a few that really resonated with me, some on a serious level, and, and, and some served to highlight his, his sense of humor. So a few years ago, we were operating in an emergency in Brooklyn. I was hurt while operating. End up being taken to the hospital by ambulance, spent some time on, on medical leave, and in, in true Vig-like fashion, he, he sends me an email. email reads, sick leave, question mark. Jay, rumor has it you're taking a few days off to work on your tan. I trust you know that Rescue 2 men only go sick for a loss of digits, arms, etc. Seriously, I hope all is well and you're not messed up. Semper Fi, Godfather.
0: In 2012, Bresler founded Leadership Under Fire, knowing Captain Vigiano would be part of the team.
3: When we decided to build a Leadership Under Fire model around a philosophy that says being tactically and technically proficient is important, but that's only one component of, of what it is to be a, a mission-oriented leader of, of impact. There's a physical piece, there's a mental piece, there's an intellectual component, and most importantly, there's a there's a moral component. Captain Vidge exemplified all of that. And and not only as a fire officer, right, but as a member of his community, as a former Marine. And then in the years following 9 11 as a leader who was there to serve those those in need at a really, really critical, critical time. And one of the things about the leadership under fire philosophy or, or model that was important to me is that it would be multi generational. And that when we got together as a team, or we held events or seminars, that we would have leaders from a number of different different generations. And uh, you know, we thought it would be fitting only only fitting that our our chief mentor would be somebody from uh, a previous generation because it would bring so much experience and and wisdom to the to the table. Captain Vidge was he was that guy
0: during the panel in 2015. Captain Vigiano passionately defended the leadership under fire philosophy. American photojournalist Lindsay Adario, who's been featured on this podcast before, was also in attendance at the event and made an impression on him.
1: When you take people from other professions and you hear about the dangers that they put themselves in, they're adrenaline junkies. What's a fireman? He wants to go to a fire. He wants to thrive on somebody's misery. My wife used to say, how can you call it a good fire? She says, the person's house burned down. I said, i oh, forget that. It was a great fire. Got my ass kicked. <laughs> Civilians don't understand the fireman's mentality, nor do we understand that young lady's desire to go to these godforsaken places and put herself in harm's way. We, as firefighters, have to appreciate other people. Hearing about them, learning about them, and finding out they're just as wacky as we are. I love going to fires. She loves going to Syria. I think she's nuts, but she probably thinks I'm nuts.
7: John had an uncanny ability to be able to communicate with older folks, with younger folks. I would also watch him with young kids you know, in, in private setting, and his ability to connect. So I always felt like that was a uh, quality that I wanted to be able to, to take from him, to be able to, to lead. you know, he, he would often have you reflect back on those that you worked with and what did you like, or what did you see in others that you could take on as you moved along your leadership journey upon achieving rank the chief of operations i often think about john you know when i'm making decisions and what would john vigiano think what would john vigiano do if you talk to john vigiano about his his upbringing he had a tough childhood so i think a lot of different things kind of added to that mental toughness and he brought that sense of mental toughness telling firefighters telling young firefighters that you need to be prepared this is a very dangerous job You need to be ready every single time you go out that door, and do not become complacent. Always strive to be the best. Become a student of the job. Become a student of the fire service. And his mental attitude uh, had a lot to do with being able to convey that.
0: And all who knew him would agree. Vigiano's mindset shaped the life he led and inspired countless others.
1: You can control most of the things that you do in the future. You are all, in this room, associated with probably, to me, the greatest job in the world. In 36 years, I went to work five days. Five days. Days, Those are days that are indelible in my heart and in my head. Example, the first time I found a dead child. I'll never forget that. I can close my eyes and see that child. That was a day of work the day the fire department decided to strike i hated it i had to step out in the street with my brothers because i knew the next day we're going to be on that truck again if they're outside i gotta be outside i didn't like it but was out there so what did we do we loaded my car because it was a station wagon with two extinguishers, a bunch of tools, and our gear. And we followed the fire trucks to the boxes. If they needed us, we were volunteers. Five hours later, the union pulled the strike. We all went back to work. The people that rode the truck, some of them did it for different reasons. I can't judge that. I did what I had to do. That was a day of work. The day a fireman died in my hands. That's probably the most traumatic thing you'll have other than losing a child. You're working on this fireman. You know he's injured and you can't save him. And he dies in your hands, literally. You'll never forget that one. You close your eyes. That's one of those days. So these are the type of things that you never forget. But how many people in your lifetime do you know went to work for 36 years and hated every day? Not me. I started six, I went to work at three. I started nine in the morning, I was in the firehouse at six a.m., bag of donuts, newspaper, And a cup of coffee. I couldn't wait to get there. That's a good job. If you call it a job, I call it a clubhouse. And most firemen know what I'm talking about.
0: During his career and following 9-11, Captain Vigiano's courage and bravery were on display for many to see. But in 2018, Captain Vigiano received a final diagnosis regarding his battle with cancer. His close friends and family members were with him.
2: I went to visit him during the day when he got diagnosed for the second time. Mm-hmm. And I didn't know he didn't know yet about what his condition was. And his daughter-in-law was there and Jan was there. And our personal thing was we'll never lie to one another, no matter how hard it is. And, and I thought he already knew because I was getting an idea what was going on. And when I got to the hospital room, nobody told him. So then we sat there and then finally we told him. He put his head down for about two minutes, picked it up he goes okay now we're going to do this and from that time on, when he knew that he was not going to be in remission he took it on and had everything plotted out and made it so much easier for everybody else to help him along until he passed on.
0: Atwell was right. Vigiano thought of causes greater than himself until the very end.
2: Even up until like a couple of days before he passed was uh I think it was one of the one of the best stories was that uh there was a, a young boy that was around the fire department who had Down syndrome. And uh, he, uh, this uh, firefighter, Wally Blum, was, uh, you know, a very active, legendary guy in Alburo. A son had Down syndrome. His name is Farrell. Wally went out to visit John. It was like four or five days before John passed. And at that time, one of John's former firefighters, Sal Civitelli, who was a firefighter to rescue, too, who had throat cancer, the same that John had, had a coat. It was a rescue two coat. And um, this is how John you know, carries on his traditions and how, like, you know, what it meant to him. But Sal wound up returning that jacket that John gave to him when he had the cancer. So John John had cancer with his coat, rescue two coat. He battled it. He beat the cancer. When Sal got cancer, who was John's, one of John's disciples from the rescue services, got cancer, he gave him the jacket. Sal had the jacket for years. Sal days before John passed, came back to return the jacket to, to, to John. Mm. Lo and behold, Wally Blum comes walking into the room, sees John. He tells him, go over to the chair and get, my, get that coat. So, Wally has no idea. He wasn't in rescue, too. He picks up the coat. He goes, I want your son to have us. So like, you know, in the fire service or anything else, you're passing on the baton or you're giving somebody a memento. Like up until the days before John passed, like he knew enough that he liked this young man Farrell so much that he was, he thought about that that he would have given Wally a jacket. Wally gave it to Farrell, and then later on, a couple of days later, Wally brought me to Randall's Island where we trained, and they, Wally sent back a picture of him saluting all the fallen firefighters on the wall at at our at our training center, which it just shows you how he. Oh, we saw everything affected, you know, so many people in just a minute little way of sending messages here and there and just dropping them off to people. And I thought that was so, so much of what John was about, you know, Mm -hmm. pass the baton, you know, whether it was his knowledge, whether it was love, whether it was, you know, of his training or just some part of him, he was always just passing it on and and just a great teacher and a great learner and, and can really... Passionately cared about everyone
3: in his circle.
0: The closest person to Captain Vigiano throughout his life was his wife, Jan. Her courage and compassion, second to none.
3: I think one of my favorite memories of, of Mrs. Vig and her influence comes in the form of the FDNY's Force Reference Guide. Most folks who are on the New York City Fire Department or are into firefighting are familiar with the publication and, and the fact that Captain Vig is the principal author of the publication, as well as uh, with support from some, some other really experienced folks like Mickey Conboy, John Farraco, Captain Morris. What most do not know is that Mrs. Vidge, Jan, was largely the the impetus for it being put into in publication. How so? So Captain Vidge had written much of the publication during his, his final years uh, with the FDNY. He was in the process of putting finishing touches on it, 2000 into 2001. Of course, 9-11 happens, and... Obviously, he had much, much more important things to turn his attention to. There was a part of Captain Vidge that as much as he loved the New York City Fire Department, he at times took issue with the organization's imperfections, as as we all do. It's human nature. And I, I don't know if he had had a, a, a falling out with a particular individual or a particular chief. It doesn't really matter. But he had decided that for whatever reason, he he was not going to turn the publication over to the job. And uh, it's sat at it, at home in his in his library. And in 2005, during one of my many trips to his home, our afternoon comes to an end, and he says, "Young Christian, I have something that I want you to take back with you to the flyhouse. He hands me a binder, and in it is a forcementary reference guide. I open it up; it's incredible. So I, I take it back to the flyhouse, Of course, everyone that I worked with in the Bronx. Knew who Captain Vidge was, household name in the FDNY. Everyone thought it was really, really great. When I left their home that afternoon, Mrs. Vidge asked Captain Vidge, John, how many young firefighters are there like Jason on the FDNY that would probably benefit from that book? And he said, a lot. And she said, so your, your pride or stubbornness is preventing them from having access to something that Jason does. And with that, he turned it over to the job and he said to to Chief Galvin at the time, he said, I just have one request or demand that the publication will explicitly honor my sons. Mm
1: -hmm.
3: And it it reads, Mm -hmm. Dedication, the effort to complete this manual is dedicated to the sons of Captain John Vigiano Firefighter John T. Vigiano, Ladder 132, and Detective 2nd Grade Joseph Vigiano, NYPD Emergency Services Truck 2, and all of the first responders who gave their lives on September 11, 2001.
0: To honor Captain Vigiano, Funds are being raised to support the Captain John T. Vigiano FDNY Family Transport Van. Deputy Chief James Ginty is the president of the FDNY Fire Family Transport Foundation and has fond memories of Vigiano.
8: I can remember being a young lieutenant covering in Brooklyn. I never had met uh, captain, i have heard of him, but I never met him. And I was working in uh, Engine 233, which is the engine company with 176, where he was the captain. So, you know, it was a little intimidating. I'm a young lieutenant. I come in and uh, he's, you know, I knew he had a real passion for training. And I was able to, that day, I observed him do a drill. And the one thing I learned is if you're going to be good at a drill, you really have to know what you're talking about. And he did. As the tour went on, we had Chow. We, we, we come back in the office and I sat, he sat with me easily for half the night, you know, in between runs and everything, just imparting his wisdom how to do drills? How he was very organized. Like they did certain compartments every day. And actually, I remember the next tour, like making copies of a lot of his stuff and keeping it for me for future use. And I always I made edited a little bit, but I used a lot of his stuff. I didn't take credit for it. I said no. oh, I got this from Captain Vidge, You know, mm. but that's uh, that's my you know my first time meeting him.
0: The central focus of the foundation is assisting the families of firefighters in their times of greatest need transporting them, family members, and department personnel to and from medical institutions, both for care and family support. The foundation is all volunteer, entirely nonprofit, and depends on donations of equipment, funds, and services to carry out its mission. Obviously, there's a need for vehicles, but also this is very much in the spirit of Captain Vigiano.
8: Yes, like even like what I was saying before about him always looking out for the men. I think this would be, a, it would be a nice way to remember him also.
0: Captain Vigiano was laid to rest on July 14th, 2018. But his far-reaching legacy lives on.
7: His legacy is walking around the job all over the job today. And his legacy is in the written word. If we go back in a lot of the old WNYF articles that John may have written, his specialty may have been forced to entry but I really do think his legacy might be his specialty to have been able to communicate and exude confidence in young firefighters like myself, young fire officers like
3: myself. Captain vitch possessed so many of the intrinsic qualities of the greatest of leaders, decisiveness and a bias for action, empathy, unparalleled resilience, as well as the ability to endure being uncomfortable, not just physically, but emotionally. And these qualities and attributes were not merely a product of mere nature, but the result of a lifetime spent continuously serving causes greater than his own. I mean, I have to say my grandfather's legacy
5: would most certainly be growth. I mean, after uh, the events that took place and how he was able to build upon it, even though it was a horrific situation, he was able to find that uh, silver lining and you know go forth and make something out of it. And that positive attitude was something that he was able to Show, you know, my brothers and I, like, where the right way is, and, you know, don't forget where you came from. You just say, growing up, you know, boys being boys and teenagers, he let us know, like, what our family legacy was and who our, you know, parents were, and really set us in the right direction and kept us between the left and right.
6: <laughs> yeah, I mean, my grandfather was able to overcome adversity pretty well, so that's something that you look up to. You try to be like that. He's definitely a role model.
4: His greatness is still among us. There are times when I just think, that greatness has gone on, but I know it hasn't. But this is what he would always say, that on that day of so much bad that happened to our country on 9-11, that he wholeheartedly knew that more good came from that day than bad. And I think that that's just an incredible reminder of what he lived his life for, what his wife did, what his family did, and how he shared that and shared that opportunity with all of us.
1: You lose your kids, you say the world is over. It could be. If I stood up here and I whimpered and I was crying, you people would start to get teary eyed and say, ah, oh, he's an old fool. I cannot be any less than my sons. They were brave men. They lived a good life, short life, but a good life. My wife and I vowed that we would continue to do that. If that's the definition of resilience, then we have it.
0: This episode is sponsored by Hope for the Warriors, an organization Captain Vigiano served and was very close to his heart. Hope for the Warriors was born of the realization that our husbands and wives, brothers and sisters, and best friends were coming home either wounded or in a flag-draped casket. Founded in 2006, the national nonprofit was needed to serve military families and support their long-term recovery. Hope for the Warriors is dedicated to restoring a sense of self, family, and hope for post-9-11 veterans, service members, and military families. Since its inception, Hope for the Warriors has served more than 23,000 through a variety of integrated support programs focused on clinical health and wellness, sports and recreation, and transition. For more information, visit hopeforthewarriors.org. Finally, I want to acknowledge the following for being part of this series FDNY Chief of Operations Thomas Richardson, Battalion Chief Chuck Downey, Retired Lieutenant Danny Murphy, Lieutenant George Guinan, FDNY Lieutenant and Leadership Under Fire President Jason Bresler, Retired Lieutenant John Atwell, Deputy Chief James Ginty, Tina Atherall, and Retired Firefighter John Fowler. Last but certainly not least, Joe Jr., and John Vigiano. Thank you for sharing your memories, correspondence, photos, and stories of Captain Vigiano. I'm honored and humbled to be part of producing and hosting this podcast series. If you would like to donate to the FDNY Fire Family Transport Foundation in memory of Captain Vigiano, visit their website at firefamilytransport.org. Proceeds from the 2019 Leadership Under Fire Optimizing Human Performance Digital Summit Package will also go to the Captain John T. Vigiano FDNY Fire Family Transport Van. Go to leadershipunderfire.com and click on the Premium tab to gain access.